there! Welcome to a rather interesting chat, a podcast where I, Muhammad Amri, have insightful and open conversations with unique individuals regarding our lives and the world around us. Come join our conversation. It's rather interesting. Hello! Hi! Welcome to a rather interesting chat. I'm your host, Amri. Glad for you to join me on this podcast. Uh, it's summer. It's the summer season. It's the summer holidays, summer break for a lot of people. And during summer, what tends to happen, at least for at least for the tabletop community, is a lot more games are being run because a lot more people are free. So a lot more games happening and a lot more people are hosting. And among those people is actually my guest today. You know, we're going to be talking about running games, what it's like to be a game master, world building, that sort of thing. Basically, um, discussing this hobby that we're very passionate about, that we really enjoy. So yeah, let's uh, jump right in. My guest is Sofia Rosario, my friend uh, and my game master for the summer. Hey, Sophie. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. This is a really nervous, really nervous. <laughs> Don't be. This is just a nice conversation we're having. Thank you for having me. Okay. The most important question first. How are you? How have you been? So, uh, it's summer break. So, hallelujah for that. Um, I am doing good you know spending time with my family and also having D throughout the summer for different groups is going to be a bonanza it's going to be a fest so i'm doing pretty great actually yeah a lot of people are playing this summer yeah i know it's insane everybody's like you've created an ecosystem right where it's like you have dungeon masters that are players in other people's game and vice versa. So it's like an unending like loops of games. Speaking of which, before you played in my game, you were quintessentially a forever DM. Yeah. For anyone who doesn't know what that means, it's basically someone who primarily runs games. Uh, they don't get to play as much. What's wild about your situation is that you've been running for a while but you've never actually played before. Yeah, it, I never got to experience the epic highs and lows of D&D as a player. I just jumped right into it. Which is a great example that you don't need to have played before you actually run a, a tabletop game. What's it like to be a player for the first time? Oh boy. Uh, if I can describe it in one sentence, it would be, Father, I crave violence. I need to kill everything inside i need to make friends with everyone i need to get become the most powerful person <laughs> bring out your inner psychopath that's what happens when the m's become players <laughs> yeah it's pent up frustration or some long desire to experience it so sometimes they're the most prepared or they just want to smash things too mother give me the violence yeah so what's the most shocking or uh, different thing about being a player because you were behind the DM screen, mm. now you're in front of it. I can definitely empathize more with my players when they start um, 
panic attacks at the table thinking, what is she doing? Why is she smiling? Stop, guys. She suddenly rolled some dice. And then she pretended nothing happened. I can, I can see the anxiety now. <laughs> and that when I leave the session, yeah, when I leave a session on a cliffhanger, they'll be like, Sophie, no, we have to continue for another two hours. I'm like, guys, my throat is going to give out. And so I understand the anxiety. It's fun. Maybe I would be more nicer to my players, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, it, it's been an experience being a player. You know, that, that freeing feeling of, I don't know anything and that's great, but also, oh my god, I don't know anything. Am I fucking it up? Oh shit, am I allowed to swear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, feel free. <laughs> I should have asked. Okay. Uh, yeah, so that it's it's been great being a player. I I am letting out all my repressed um emotions out as a DM. Through your character. Yes, yes. Just just like yeah, let's let's kill. You want to pick a fight? Come here. I'm not scared. Why did you take up the challenge of being a dungeon master? Uh, well, I watch Critical Role as you know mainstream. It became mainstream. Great choice. And I was. Yeah, I was really impressed by um, Matthew Mercer's storytelling. Like he, I mean, his voice acting is amazing, of course. Stories and how it pulls you in and it inspired me. And I, and I thought to myself, why not I give this feeling to other people who are my friends? Let them experience the epic highs and lows of D&D. And yeah, it just started from there. Uh, Matthew Mercer and um, another British uh, DM, um, Mark Humes. He has also inspired... The two of them have inspired me to take up DMing. You watch High Rollers as well? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Another great show. Yeah, I watched like the first campaign and I was like, yo, this slaps. I want to do something. So watching these two great dungeon masters, plus your fearlessness, you went, yep, I've got to do this too. I have to. I have to inflict a lot of pain and suffering and fun on my friends like you know give them an adventure and see the joy on their face so yeah that's basically um my inspiration matthew mercer and mark humes are really great dms did you did you have any nerves or concerns about getting behind the screen and running a session um not really because I'm someone where if I want to get into something, I really do my research before. I watch tons of YouTube videos. I read the entire DMG, the player's handbook, the explorer's guide. I was like pouring through that shit, making notes. Like, okay, everybody, as long as you have fun, it's fine. And all these little DM tips, how to be good. Like, it was an exhaustive list. And then I would say I was more nervous of... Uh, role play, you know, being other characters as opposed to the technicalities. Because the technicalities, like, you're a DM. You could just say, nah, you don't have to roll for that. I think it's stupid. Let's carry on. Yeah. Just NPC voices. You did your research. Yeah. I did my research. I was like, no, I'm going to be the best. Look, I don't know how many videos I've watched about DMing and running games. So I get that. Uh, but still, it, it's quite impressive. Almost unique that, you know, you jumped in without worry. Because I know a lot of people that when they're about to run, mm. they get really nervous. That's true. And you see that a lot online. So kudos to you for being like, hey, I want to do this and jump in. 
Thank you. Thank you. You've run a lot of games. You went. Yeah. I'm just going to try this. So, what do you enjoy most about being a game master? About running games. Well, because I'm someone that spends most of my free time thinking. Oh, this music that I just listened to yesterday was really cool in this like fight sequence, and then oh, I think that this music feels very like uh, witch music. So it's like I would think they're fighting like a coven of hags. I'm like, okay, how do I put that in the story? How do I give the brick trails to my players? Like, oh, what's this? And then they walk into the lair. You know, like everything about my life is about creativity. So I'm most engaged when I listen to music. I find all kinds, and I'll be like, okay. This would be cool in a game. It will enhance everything, and when it pays off, when it really pays off, when everything swells, the music, the atmosphere, and my players are invested, I'm like, that's it. I've won at D and D. I I I feel great, and they're having a great time. And the end of the session, they always will thank me for it. I'm like, guys, please, I cannot take compliments. I can praise myself. I can't let others praise me. <laughs> the whole experience, then. Yeah, it's 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 beautiful. <laughs> How much in a day do you think about D and D and running games? <laughs> now, now that you mention it, I, I've got to know. Uh it's sometimes just a thought. Like I could be like waiting for the train, and then I'm shuffling my playlist, and I find something new, uh, based on recommendations on YouTube. I'll be like, huh, okay, I'll remember that for later. Then when I go back to my laptop, I just start writing for hours on then. Sometimes just a notes app on my phone, if anything, and I'll be like, okay, I'll come back to that later. I think about stories and D and D almost all the time. You're studying English with creative writing. Yeah. You're a writer. Yes. How much has your writing experience played a role in, say, your world building, or mm. in you running games, or um, in your storytelling? That's a good question. Um, I would say that. Uh, being a writer, it's, I feel that people need to separate the difference sometimes because when writers become D&D, like dungeon masters, they expect the players to be static characters. And then you say, oh, no, you have to do what I say because I made this. So I feel that uh, writers often make the mistake when they become DMs. And how it's enriched, like my writing has enriched, is definitely world building, I think of drawing inspiration from real life whether it's events that i've heard or something that i've read and um how shall i put that i, I guess it's more of like dnd taught me another aspect of writing if that makes sense really which is that when you yeah yeah like when, when you create uh, npcs for example or even when you engage with player characters now you really are delving into their psyche of what makes them tick? You know, is there a phrase that they hate being told? And now I'm thinking for my characters when I write my books or short stories, it, it has enriched how I create stories, for sure. Based on your point, yeah. some DMs, especially if they're new, mm. they're crafting this grand story, but they have to remember they're putting the foundation there. The players will build it up. The players will build up. Uh, is that something you struggled with? Uh, as in making sure the players have the freedom and you're there as part of the ride and contributing, but not controlling it? 
yeah, definitely. I feel that my players have influenced uh, the camp. I, I run two games because I hate myself, obviously. Um, as a newbie too, that time, because why not? <laughs> yeah, Amri's just shaking his head at me. Um, it's that they, I create law and I'm always amazed at how my players influence the world. Like I can give a very short example. Um, it was this was my very first uh, gay with like a couple of close friends and my partner, and I thought they I really thought they were gonna kill off like the big bad evil guy at the time for the you know like this arc, but I was surprised when they spared her life and they didn't torture her. They 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 gave her like the treatment that she needed, and though she's a prisoner, like they they treated her with dignity, and I was like oh. So you guys are not just like a bunch of like crazy people that like the other day mercilessly like rambled an entire bandit cab because you got caught and you failed your stealth check. Like, and it's insane. So because I didn't expect Melisandre to be alive, now I'm thinking, okay, how does this influence like further on in the campaign when this, she's just like, you know, um, a little shoot in like the grand tree of evil designs. Uh, yeah, I, I'm always impressed by my players. And sometimes they bamboozle me and I have to say, yeah, that's fair. I, I can't get mad at you. It's my, <laughs> yeah, you outsmarted me. I'm always surprised by my players in any given session. It's also surprising how evil they can be, but also how kind. They can be. Uh, sometimes I'm like, oh, you felt responsible for that death. Okay. <laughs> I didn't think you would care. Yeah, same. You know? It's like, oh, I didn't know you cared about like this goblin, like, and, and, like this goblin and his daughter. Like, yeah, sure. Okay. You mentioned you struggled with role playing. Was it because it was such a foreign concept to you yeah. at the time? Like, what made it? for you that yeah okay this is hard mm. well i'm kind of a self-conscious person uh, in an aspect um because when i was younger i used to talk to myself a lot and i made i still make weird noises till this day and so like i've, I've been judged a lot and i feel that role playing is it's kind of like being someone else and using those weird voices that you talk to yourself at night like hmm, i like some candy right now and <laughs> Putting it into a character. People are looking at me. Uh, this was an IRL game before the pandemic. You know, my friends were looking at me every time onto my every word as they talked to this like old man Jenkins, as I would love to call the first NPC I made, who was transporting the players in his cart to the village. It was an old man. I had to like say, okay, you know what? Just focus on your voice and vocabulary use. Everything else, let the players like piece it together of how this old man is. I just focused on my voice. I was like, nope, nope, don't think anything else. Just shut up, do it. Yeah. Are you comfortable now with role-playing? How long did it take you to uh, get comfortable with it? Actually, uh, I'm very comfortable with role-play now. Um, I think it took me like running a few games um, every few weeks or so. I would say maybe, gosh, like, like maybe... Two, two weeks or so because that's when you start to get into the character and sometimes your players they can be little like shits as well they'll be like oh I like 
poke the goblin or I say, hey, what are you doing? And then I can respond back because they give me a chance to be, what are you doing? And it, it, it's like chemistry playing off of each other. <laughs> so with most things in life, it's practice and yeah. the more you do it, the easier it becomes? Yes, very much so. We were rehearsing for a play. Yes. Was that role-playing aspect? As in you playing characters. Did that help you with your transition to acting on stage? Yeah, for sure. Um, like Amanda, the director of the play, who is a really good friend of mine, um, she knows that I also DM for Dungeons & Dragons. And I think at some point she has heard me talk about characters and how my players react and how I do all kinds of voices. And she's like, you're a dungeon master. You have experience with roleplay. Why not give it a try? I was like, yeah, sure. And I found it pretty easy. Once you nail the voice and the mindset of the character, it, it just comes naturally to you. How was auditioning for you? What was the experience like? Your first time uh, auditioning, your first cast re- uh, your first cast read-through, your first rehearsal. What was it all like? It was nerve-wracking. Because... Like, D&D, you are allowed to be the weirdest goblin person ever, or any weird person. And, you know, it's not like you can get booed off the stage unless you do something really terrible to your players. And unfair and terrible, that's, that's the highlight. If you are unfair to your players, you will be, for a better, like, you know, you will be kicked out. They'll be like, this is terrible, what are you doing? <clears throat> but for auditions, you have to impress someone in order to get the role you have to stand out amongst the other auditionees and I thought oh god am I really in over my head (laughs) did I get too confident and just be like yeah I'll do anything oh but once I got accepted I felt you know what things will be okay from here on out I'm sure that Amanda and Carmen the directors they made this decision not because I'm their friend but because they recognize my capabilities and i was like yeah i think from here on out it would be an a great a great experience for me but yeah you definitely did well uh, i i definitely enjoyed acting alongside you a lot of good scenes together <laughs> toxic scenes as amanda said toxic chemistry i was like yeah you have good chemistry but the bad kind yeah exactly <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god yeah, when there was improv night for the new lads um, event, uh, like the society. So there was this game of like this improv game where you can basically like the people start off a scene based on a prompt and people are uh, allowed to tap in at any any point, then change the direction of the scene entirely. It was really chaotic. Somehow a lot of sexual jokes. Yeah. So when I tapped in and um, Daniel Hurley also tapped in because he joined the night we we would always end up yelling at each other and then amanda also said later you seem to have toxic chemistry with anyone in a shouting match i'm like that's not a good (laughs) i don't know how to feel about that just yelling at different men i don't know that's funny to (laughs) hear i cast it as like the terrible wife It, it, it was crazy but i feel like writing you know like there's an in like a certain intersection of like every everything like overlapping like writing acting on stage being a dm that's like this weird like venn diagram where somehow everything makes sense holistically 
Yeah, I think with running games, there's a lot of skills that overlap. And for me, that's why I enjoy tabletop RPGs in general. Because with running games, I utilize my writing, my storytelling, the role playing. I utilize my acting skills and my public speaking skills. So it's a joy. That is true. It's amazing. I will say the one thing I'm not good at, though, is accents. I can't do many accents to save my life. So it's like I could make, I don't know, like the worst like Russian accent. And then it was somehow changed direction to another accent. So my players always make fun of me for it. They'd be like, what kind of accent is that? I'm like, I don't know. How about you try DMing instead? Yeah, for me, when I do an Irish accent, for example, or if I do a Scottish one, what tends to happen is they start to melt into each other, mm. if, if that makes sense. Because they're very close to a British accent. So yeah. if I'm not careful, one will slip into another. <laughs> and... Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've played characters where I'm like, what? What <laughs> accent was I doing? Oh, no. I've done that both as a player and a DM. Go back. <laughs> yeah, but my players are kind enough to let it slide. <laughs> no, mine are bastards. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Uh, oh, what, what part of running games is your favorite? I think it's when the flow happens when like you forget all this nervousness and you just get into this flow you are you're, you know and, and your players are no longer Sarah or, or Steven they are their character and they are really invested in the moment they role play with each other I feel like that's my favorite part especially when like you live on a cliffhanger and you jump right back in at first it's a bit awkward it's like oh my god uh, guys what do we do um, and, and all these like little uh, bumps on the road. Once they get past it, that's the best feeling in the world because I get invested too. So the best part is the suspension of disbelief. Yes. It's of, it's of going into it, of everyone believing they're part of that world. Oh, yeah. That's incredible. I feel like from that one short campaign we played, it was quite in-depth. As um, you, you did a lot for what was a starting session. I am a mad woman. So where's your starting point for world building? Where do you start? Uh, what do you start with? Uh, well, to me, I start with the tenets of the world. Basically, what is the universal rule in every single universe? Is it, you know, uh, kind of like, you know, different shows like Avatar, you know, the tenets of the world is that there are people who can wield one of the four elements. And then also there are people who cannot bend. But then there are also people within like those subsets. Elements can bend metal. So I come up with the tenets of the world. What can this world do? What you cannot do? Not on the society level of like laws and civilization. No. Much more of how magic works. And the gods' relationship with the world. Are there gods? Did they all die? If they die... You know, so that's when you start to generate a frame of this idea. I can I can give an example. Um, I created this subterranean world. So I called it a world within a world. So there is like a society that lives on the surface, and this is a society that lives subterranean. But neither of them know of each other's existence. And within that subterranean world, I had these tenets of they do not know what is a sun and a moon. Because the goddess that created the world, she sacrificed herself to become the source of light. 
So to them, she is light, but there's no such thing as sun or moon. These don't exist. You know, and then like the existence of magic and um and I, and of course I'm a crazy person, so I came up with like, oh scholarly theory dictates that there might be a world up there, but people have not found the ceiling of this subterranean world. So, you know, it, it's it's really helpful to generate like what you think scholars of those worlds would put in their thesis statement and, and I don't know, publish it on a parchment somewhere for peer review. You go deep with that. I'm crazy like that. <laughs> if you're considering what the scholars oh, are yeah. thinking. <laughs> yeah. Starting with the core assumptions of the world. Yeah. I like asking this question because sometimes when I world build, I don't know where to start. Oh, fell. Um, and that's a good starting point. Thank you. Do you consider like... um? Is style of play a consideration when you world build? Like heroic fantasy, epic mm. fantasy, greedy sci-fi, etc. Is it something that comes into play at the start when you're building the world or after? Mm. For me, I'm always a primarily fantasy writer. So I always think fantasy. And I always want to know the relationship of magic, gods, technology. These are the three tenets that I work by first to work my way down. And um, I would say that because I have high fantasy in mind, I think, okay, what are great explorations for my players? Could they be exploring, like, you know, a huge mountain, but it's actually the corpse of a giant, for example? Like, that's a really cool idea. And I think, oh, I paint this picture, and I think I want my players to feel, you know, like, oh, this is a dead body, but it's now grown over with rocks and moss. It, it, you know, paint that picture for them. So definitely I'm focused on exploration and how my players discover lore and their relationship with that lore. Because again, let's say if you're like some villager and an adventurer goes up to you and says, hey, tell me everything about this world. Well, you wouldn't <laughs> know anything or everything. And you would say, oh, I believe that uh, that huge giant you walked into, I think that was, I don't know, my sister's friend. And I don't know, like, People make up shit and they lie to players too, as people often do. Yeah, that's something players have to remember. They're people. They could lie to you. <laughs> also, they might not know a lot or anything at all. Yeah. If you don't believe that, go, go to the streets and ask people a history of their city or their country. How many can actually answer you? They don't. Or they'll give you a very biased opinion of it. I really always want to like mimic real life as much as possible when it comes to the people to feel organic. Yeah, I think when you're able to achieve that, the verisimilitude, uh, the belief in the world, basically, mm. it's obtainable. Players will believe it and they become invested. Ah, it's yeah. easy yeah. to roleplay and such. True. Okay, for you, for you, mm. when is what you have enough? Not for general world building, not generally. But based on your personal mm. preference, when is it enough? Mm. Of course, you create all these details. Mm. When do you stop and begin running the game? I see. Because, yeah, you could be like suddenly caught up in like the tax system <laughs> and like transportation. Like, okay, that's a bit too far. Um, I would say that for me, when I call it enough is, first, I build the world itself. You know, general law, as we've mentioned. And then I build a starting point for my players. And I try to keep the players as long as possible in the in like the starting 
part of the map. And if they say, oh, I want to go to Briarcrest, I'll be like, ah, oh, shit, okay, I gotta, I gotta make that before in advance. Like, so I built the map slowly. Like, I already have names in places for certain things, you know, basic attributes, just very, like, one or two sentences. And then my players express interest, like, oh, we need to go to Briarcrest next because that's where Melisandre's sister is at. I'll be like, okay, I have to build Briarcrest in one and a half weeks. Let's go. So just whatever you have yep. that you need to run, basically. Yeah, basically. I, I build the train tracks as my players are zooming forward towards certain death. What a description. Oh, uh, Sophie, how do you get inspired? When you need ideas, what do you do? What do you look at? What's your go-to way for inspiration? Um, I watch a lot of um, anime. And also, I will, I will say like what inspired the subterranean um, world building, which one of the campaigns is playing in, and I very much would love to run it with another group, is that I was inspired by watching the animation uh, Children Who Chase Lost Voices. I highly recommend watching that animation. It is beautiful in terms of animation, style, storytelling, and I was so inspired by it. I was like, cool, why don't we do that? So animation has always been there for me as comfort as well as inspiration. And again, always my love for music, whether it's video game music, anime music, weird, obscure Viking folk music. I have like a whole playlist, like like one called Boss Fights, Killing God, like this, this, all different types. And when I know music is good, is that I feel like this tingling at the back of my head and I feel like my senses are heightened. And I know not everyone experiences music like that, but that's, that's what inspires me to create things. As a dungeon master, what do you expect from players? What, from your players, helps you run the game better? That's an interesting idea. Um, I really just expect the players to engage with the world. I'm not asking that each of every one of them to be a historian or, you know, um, an enforcer of the law, but just to see how they define their relationship with it is very important to me. You know, like, if you're a moon elf, you know, and in the previous campaign, like, the moon elves, they are very ex expertise with healing and when it comes to healing of the mind specifically. Uh, because, again, referencing Melisandre, she was under a lot of psychological stress uh, you know, when, when you, your whole family's been massacred and you were trapped in the Feywilm for like 200 years and also, you know, becoming a slave for the, you know, queen of the Unseelie Fey. It, it, it's a lot. You know, you're under a lot of stress. And I just want my players, when they see a character like Melisandre, you know, I mean, if they cut her down, like, oh, well, I'll just tear up the sheets. Nah, that's it. You don't know anything about what happened. Is that how they react is important whether it's disgust it's pity compassion anything i just want emotion something genuine and sincere is that something you talk to your players beforehand or is it more of a if it happens bonus <laughs> um i i just tell my players have fun do what you think is right and actions have consequences so if you stab the king in front of 20,000 people, there's going to be consequences. 
And I always let my players know that before every game in Session Zero, I am someone that prefers roleplay more than combat. But combat does happen. It's just story and talking to each other is, is important to me. Yeah. When I run sessions for you, you definitely, at least I feel, mm. like you naturally transition into a player. And that experience as a dungeon master, you were definitely able to roleplay easily and, and have those one-on-one interactions. Rather beautifully, actually. But also, what's interesting about running for a DM is, for anyone who hasn't run for a DM, especially a forever DM, yeah. they, the details they look for and they're asking for, it's definitely something that normal players don't. It's a cool experience. Also keeps you on your toes. Be be ready. I'm trying to like outsmart each other somehow. It's like, oh, I got you. <laughs> what it is, is overthinking in a different way than a player overthinks. Yes. 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 Because at least for players, you say like the chair seems to be empty. And then they start this whole charades of like, oh my God, is the chair poisoned? Was someone like tortured? And I was like, it's just the chair in the middle of a room. Players, they sometimes they don't realize they're metagaming yeah. a bit. So they have poor yeah, assumptions. Yeah, yeah. But I'm just like, go wild. Uh, you're torturing yourselves. <laughs> I'm not doing or putting anything you think is there. Whereas when you or other GMs are investigating, it's so detailed where I'm like, chase the breadcrumbs that potentially aren't there. Speaking of shit on the spot because we're so used to doing that. Yeah, players cause chaos and trouble. It's a natural outcome. Even when you know better, you're like, nope, I want to cause trouble. Yeah, I just I just crave violence. Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, it is fun. <laughs> yeah, basically. What's your proudest moment running a game? Mm-hmm. I'm curious. Ooh. Um, there were a couple. Um, so I separate like the two campaigns. One is um, God, I forgot the name of the other campaign because it's been forever since I ran it. Um, but the subterranean one, Averiel. Um, I was really proud of my players when they were preparing to clear out this um cave full of like mushroom spores that would, if you inhale it, you either like you you are driven to temporary madness and you attack whoever is closest to you. Yes, it was a custom monster and eventually through some really good checks and, and um, dissertations and all that, they, they found out that the mushroom spores are weak to fire. The problem is, none of them have any fire-based spells. One is a monk, one is a fighter, and the other one's a bard. So the only magic user is like... So in preparation, they went to um, this uh, citadel where there was no one in it. And, you know, they started exploring, searching for supplies, normal things. And my player managed to bamboozle me by asking innocent questions of, oh, you know, are there like linen shirts lying around in this abandoned place? I'm like, yeah, sure. There's a bar, right? Yeah, yeah, there is. Do they have bottles of it? Sure. They made a Molotov cocktail and I went right into that and I was so angry. But impressed, I was like, sure, I will let you make Molotov cocktails. <laughs> they got me. I've been in several games where dungeon masters are like, yes, I'll let you make Molotov cocktails. Mm-hmm. Even during session zero. Now I'm wondering, does this happen a lot? Yeah. 
like people just want to commit arson and they successfully cleared out the mushroom spores they made an encounter very easy by using the molotov cocktails it didn't release the spores that would you know make them kill each other i was like i can't be mad i'm impressed good job it's genius yeah the players are creative just they'll just keep rubbing it in my face like oh that one time like you know what send a white dragon right kill all of you yeah taunt the game master that's a good idea yes i will send a, a red dragon appears all of you are dead roll a new character anything on your game master bucket list Ooh. anything you want to Ooh. try or achieve game bucket hmm okay um definitely i want to when i get better at creating more custom monsters still learning reskinning some things i want to create a fight that is both mechanic like it uses the terrain as well like the use of terrain and like like just a lot of like I don't know big brain 4D chess type of game where the players are like, you know I teleport to this portal and this portal brings me there and therefore I can shoot from there. It, it's very complicated and time consuming, but I do want to do that. And uh, I hope to finish one goddamn arc before summer ends. <laughs> that those are my bucket list. The other bucket list is stuff like oh one day I want to have. Those interactive virtual table things? What's that? What's an interactive table thing? Okay, so it's like an actual, like, it's a literal table. And then there's, like, a screen built into it. So, like, your maps are enlarged and the players can move their tokens across it. Oh, like a game table with a screen on it. Yeah, it's like a virtual table. Yeah, it's like... Ah, okay. I would love to own that in the very near future or far future. That is on my bucket. Apparently, you can put TVs or monitors or you can yeah. just use a projector. Yeah, I've seen it. I've, I've checked those out, but I'm not technically inclined. No, I, I can't build things from scratch with wood. I don't have the power tools. I'll buy it one day. Yeah, let's do that. Mm-hmm. I'll support the skilled creators. You like strolling up to the poor carpenters. You explain your game table idea. The carpenters just like, wow, kids these days. Yeah, multiple drawers. I need cup holders. I need it to be modular as well. So it's just you're being the mega nerd. <laughs> yeah, the biggest. Oh, what's the hardest part about running games? Ooh. Definitely, um, it's very energy taxing. So even though I do feel the epic highs and lows and like, yes, they got the first arc finished and they did all these crazy things, but also like, I'm someone that has, uh, gets tired very easily. Um, so as much as I have a lot of fun being different characters, at the end of the day, sometimes I would just like collapse on the bit like, okay, I'm going to take a nap now. I'm so tired. It's, it's rewarding. But there's a reason why I don't play, I mean, I don't DM games when you know i'm still studying because it really takes a lot out of me that's the most taxing part i would say it takes a lot to run a game yeah very much so so what game do you enjoy running is hmm. it D or do you have a different system that's less taxing i see or are they all just taxing they're all just taxing i mean because i'm only i'm so far only used D and 
I have yet to find a game system that makes me go, yeah, this is like perfect, you know, X amount of rolling dice, but not mechanically too taxing and still has good roleplay. I'm still trying to find what suits me best, so to speak. There definitely are games that are mechanically less demanding compared to Dungeons and Dragons. But what I think people don't realize when they say, you should try mm. other games, is that yeah. most other games, they're locked in in terms of mm. their lore and style of play. Call of Cthulhu is not mechanically mm. demanding, but it's a specific style of That's play. True. Blaze in the Dark is cool and interesting, mm. less mechanically taxing, mm. but it's more gritty and darker. And the lore can be deep. So there, there's a lot of options out there. But there's something about D&D, especially yes. 5e, that's very flexible. It is. I mean, look at my, my players could make a Molotov cocktail. And I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? Is there a game system out there that you know of that you want to try but you haven't? Mm. Either as a player or GM. I mean, as a player, Call of Cthulhu seems interesting. Um, heard a lot of things about it. Um, and I remember when you posted in our Discord about this game that was re- like released for free and you could download it. The Quest thingy? Yeah. Yeah, Quest. Yeah, I, I, I would be so inclined to try that out as well as a player. Maybe as a DM, I need, I need to okay, do a shit ton of research before I jump right into it. Fair enough. With this summer, are you looking forward to playing more games or running games? Ooh. Ooh. I don't know. Maybe I'm just riding the high of being a player after for like three or four years of just straight DMing. Um, definitely, I would love to play more games than I run gaming, at least for this summer. And, and, I, and I told my partner, I'm like, it's no hard feelings. I just want to be the one to commit acts of violence and make my dungeon master scream and wonder where did this psychopath come from? Like, I, I just want to be crazy out there. Let me, let me be free. I've had enough of, like, giving you consequences. Give me consequences. What is it like to play every week? I've basically been running games every week for your group. What's it like? Yeah, it is the best feeling in the world. <laughs> it's the best feeling. You know, because it's kind of like I get to meet, you know, my friends on every single week at this time at night. You know, we set aside that time and it, it's special to me. I, I enjoy it a lot as, as a player. What's the difference from running a game every week to playing every week? Yes. To you at least, what's the biggest difference? Hmm. I mean, playing the game, <clears throat> I would say that players have it so much easier than the DM. Because players, they are reactionary. They react to whatever circumstances that they're put in, or what they put themselves in, so to speak. It's all reactionary, whereas the DM, they have to not only react to the players, but they also have to say how, like, how far this effect ripples, you know, and also planning maybe potential character arcs where they meet their past, that they have to confront the past, and you're creating NPCs. You are building this train track as your players are, again, rushing forward to certain death. You know, so it's... Players are freed of the burden of knowing everything. They don't know everything. 
So then when they reach to a new town, it's, it's like, oh, the map is unlocked. We have a new area to explore. For the DM, it's okay, I put them in this pen temporarily. Maybe they'll tear up some of the furniture, but they'll be fine for a few weeks. Okay, now I have to build this other part of the house. And I hope they don't see what I'm building and nothing gets spoiled. Oh, they just killed the big bad evil guy in like two sessions. Fit. Uh, what do I do now? Being a player is so much easier than a DM. Respectfully. I have to say, your description of players, they sound like wild animals. <laughs> because it's like they're chaotic. You don't know what they're going to do. That's true. Like I had... No, like I have a bard, my, my best friend who was playing a bard, he insisted on going out to meet like one of the NPCs that he's having a fling with. And I was like, are you sure? He's like, yeah, sure. And this, they were in the middle of like a festival and they already know that attack is going to happen. But he's like, I want to go and like see my partner. And I was like, sure. So while he was getting some, um, the monster comes from the ground and I'm like, your pants are down, what are you going to do? Are you going to leave your partner? <laughs> like, you did this. I, I told you. <laughs> Players. Wait, did I do that? It's not what you did. It, it, it's like, he insisted I have to see him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure, go ahead. Go. <laughs> I just have to add, running a game isn't as hard as we're making it sound. Yes, that is true. It's just different people, different energy levels, and mental capacity. Yeah, it can be easy. We just make it hard for ourselves sometimes. <laughs> because we're crazy like that. What do you miss about running games then? Have you, have you run any games recently? No, I haven't. Uh, like the subterranean game, like, I think we're only starting middle of June because... Um, some of the players still have their exams to take. Yeah, but I, I, I do miss running a game for them um, because they're newbies to D&D. So every little situation that I put them in, it seems already grandiose and fantastical. I mean, when they first started, you know, like I made them fought a cockatrice um, for their first fight. They spent one hour trying to kill this thing and I was in so much pain. <laughs> <laughs> one hour and now amongst themselves they say yeah we took one hour to kill a chicken i'm like yeah guys sometimes you're never sure how long something will take and you're just like huh did not expect this huh i was like okay guys <laughs> um i am looking forward to running the subterranean game again i do want to complete at least one or two arcs and then see if my players want to try something else or continue yeah do you have that itch? You haven't run a game in a while. You start getting restless. Where you're, where you're, uh, where you're like, oh, I have to run. I, I'm feeling. I'm starting to feel it. I can't not run a game. I enjoy running games, so I don't mind being forever DM. So when you haven't run a game in a while, it's like, oh, geez, now what? I feel like I'm getting rusty. Oh no. Yeah, when I do run games for some time. I start playing RPGs, mm. like I go in deep, even then it's not the same as a tabletop RPG. The immersion and freedom I'm feeling that. isn't the same. You miss feeling like a god. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> Sorry, we're not the same person. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's been a great conversation. Time do fly. Time does fly. It does. <laughs> it do. It do. It do fly. <laughs> oh. oh, see, now we're dissolving into chaos. Now we're as chaotic as our players. Yes, that's true. I mean, everybody just wants to cause a bit of trouble. Just a bit. A bit. Just a bit. Sophie, where can we find you online? Oh boy. Uh, well, I do have an Instagram account. It is Capricious Froggy. I, 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 I tend to post my how how shall we say my daily life. But if you want something that's more nerd focused and think along documenting my creativity and also again some bullshit in my life, you can follow alternate underscore scrubs where I will want to put most of my creative stuff in. So you can find me. And you can follow uh, the podcast on Instagram at ericpod, A-R-I-C-P-O-D. Follow the podcast on your favorite podcasting sites. Yeah, share the podcast to your friends, to your family, to your neighbors, uh, strangers. Who knows? They might enjoy it. Hey, have you heard of this podcast? (laughs) Read the podcast. Hopefully you're enjoying it. Uh, Sophie, any final words, any advice, or anything you want to leave our listeners with? Oof. Uh, well, okay. Uh, one advice each. There, make it even for DMs and, and one player. For newbie DMs, it's all about having fun. And that means you and your player. You know, you got to manage your expectations, talk it out to each other. Again, if you're someone who likes to host a game where it's all about kill, kill, and then upgrade your gear and then kill some more and, and like very meat grinder stuff. Tell that to your player. They want more roleplay? Do you want more roleplay? And definitely do not ever take away the agency of your players. Because above all, fairness and impartiality is very important. You do not want to ruin a good story. Just because your players one-shotted the boss that you plan, it's okay. You can make a bigger, better boss for later and then they will regret doing that so it's fine you're great okay now for players i beg of you please don't overthink too much because if you start to say what if there are werewolves out there i am going to make a note and say okay i will add werewolves to the game and you would be the cause of your own downfall so do not give your dms ideas unless you want to be put in more situations okay but apart from that have fun and be respectful to your DM. They work very hard. And at the end of the day, they are also a player and they want to engage with you, which is true NPCs and the world. So have fun, respect each other, love each other. That, that, that's my advice. Thank you for the great advice, Sophie. Thanks for coming on. Really appreciate you having a chat with me. Yeah. And thank you everyone for listening. Really appreciate your support. Have a great week, and I'll talk to you soon.